Well, it's good to be back with you guys tonight. And uh, it's a privilege to be closing out this passage uh, here in Colossians. Uh, If you've been a part of the whole series, uh, you know, as we've gone through the last eight, nine weeks or so, that we've gone through the four chapters. And and, uh, I'm not sure if if Larry uh, had taken this opportunity to share this, but if you look at the first two chapters, the first two chapters really is doctrine that talks about Jesus is supreme. That Jesus, his supremacy is over the Old Testament, it's over prophets, it's over angels, it is supreme over all of that. And then the last two chapters, chapters three and four, it's about the fact of submission, of submission to Jesus Christ, that our personal lives are to be submitted to him. And then it's the idea of our marriages were to be submitted to him. And then our family dynamic was to be submitted to him. Our workplace was be, to be submitted. And now he, he mentions one last section here. And as he comes to this last part, in many ways, it's his closing thoughts. So he's never been to this church. He's actually in prison in Rome. And in some ways, I think he's asking himself, what do I want to leave this church family with? If I never get the chance to see them or meet them personally, what do I want to leave them with? And I think that's what he goes through here in this section, his closing appeal to this church. He says, this is what I want you to grab onto. And so there's three, really three overarching challenges that Paul gives. And the first one we see, again, starting up there in Colossians 4, verse number 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak. The mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. And so the first thing that we see is this. We see this fact that here is Paul saying, be devoted to prayer. That word devote, uh, if you look in the original language, it's to be strong, to be earnest, to be persistent. And I asked the churches this morning, the two services this morning, this question. So I want to ask you the question. And that is, what are some of the things that the world and individuals are devoted to today? What are some of the things that we devote ourselves to? What are some of those things? Okay, money, 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 money. That's right. Okay, what else? What else? Hockey. Say that. Hockey. Amen. Can I get an amen? Yes. Yes, go abs. Okay, what else? Social media. Social media. Ooh, good one. Social media. What else? Our kids, our family, our marriages. What else? Anything else that jumps out to you? Our motorcycles, our hobbies, our hobbies. Well, Lori and I talked about it, and here are some of them that we came up with. Fitness, finances, sports, marriage, family, our country, our flag, hobbies. What about God's word? When we open God's word every day, what do we call it but devotions? What are we devoted to? Well, in this case, Paul says, I want you to be devoted to prayer. I want you to be devoted to prayer. And so his whole thought there is that my prayer time is called to be a priority. It's called to be a visible priority in my life. And and what does he mean by that? Well, the first thing he says, he says, I want your prayer life to be a watchful prayer life. And again, I'm I'm reading out of the HCSB. uh, And so it's a little bit different translation, but it says, stay alert, stay alert 
in it with thanksgiving. And so the idea behind an alert prayer life is a watchful prayer life. It's intentional. It's not haphazard. If we're not careful, we can get into this routine of prayers where we say our prayers at a meal. We say our prayers at night. We say our prayers, you know, briefly in the morning as we head off to work, but we truly don't have a devoted prayer life. That it's intentional. That it's, it's not just passive, but it's active. The second thing that Paul said about that prayer life is that it's with thanksgiving. It's amazing how many times the Apostle Paul mentions that with prayer. In Philippians, Larry and I, we did the series in Philippians a few years ago. And in Philippians 4, uh, starting at about verse number 4, you know, we go into this whole section of rejoice in the Lord. And then verse 6, it says, it says there, be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians, the very end of 1 Thessalonians, there in chapter 5, he gives these real sharp commands, these little two and three word commands, and one of them is give thanks. And here we are again in Colossians. He says, I want you to have a prayer life with thanksgiving. I don't want it to just be a grocery list. And if we're not careful, too many times we come to God with what? Our grocery list. God, I need you to do this. I want you to fix this. I want you to take care of this. I want you to go here and do this. You know, and especially for those of you that are parents, um, a lot of times, let's be honest, we do that with our kids. We had one of our kiddos last night come to us. Well, we had about three of them or four of them in the bedroom last night. And I'm like, please just leave. I just want to go to bed. But, but anyways, you know, they all left and then one of them came back in and he's like, this is what's in my heart, you know, and, and, and Lori and I afterwards, our heart just kind of ached for him and, you know, just kind of Lord, you know, work, work in him. But one of the things that we challenged him with is, you know, has God been good to you? Be thankful, be thankful for what he has done instead of just always looking for what you want him to do. And so Paul says, I want you to have a prayer life that truly is passionate about thanksgiving. But then it's this idea of being focused on the right things. Look at verse 12 again real quick. He mentions Epaphras. Epaphras is the pastor there at the church, but he's with Paul right now. But look at what he says about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave for Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always contending for you in his prayers. Doug, I think, what, what, what term did you use? Was it wrestling? or struggling. And it's the idea of he was wrestling for the church in his prayers. Let me ask you guys a question. Are you guys contending for each other? Are you wrestling in your prayers for each other? Are you praying for each other? Can I give you, can I give you a little challenge that when the Lord brings one of your church family to mind, stop and pray for them, that you would stop and pray for them. And so if you're going along in a particular day and all of a sudden the Lord lays Quinn Denny on your heart, you don't say, wow, I wonder if Quinn's in trouble. Man, I hope he's not doing something stupid. (laughs) But instead, it's, no, I need to stop and pray for Quinn. Don't know what's going on, but Lord, you've laid him on my heart. And so, Father, I'm just praying that you will be with Quinn today, whatever's going on. Contend for one another. And then did you notice what Paul says at the end? He says, pray. Pray specifically that I may have an open door to speak the message, the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in in prison. And you know what I love about that? I love the visual image. Here he is in prison. And normally prisons have what? Closed doors, locked doors. And yet here, what what is he asking for? Lord, give me an open door. 
to speak about the Messiah, to share the gospel. And so can I encourage you that you guys right now should be praying, Lord, give us open doors to share the gospel at Central Bible Church. Start praying for sports camp right now. That was the challenge I gave our church this morning. Start praying. Put it on your prayer list. I am praying for the young people that are going to be coming to sports camp. Can I encourage you? And I told our people to pray for you guys. Would you pray for Creekside to do the same thing? That Creekside would have outreach opportunities to make an impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But do you see the picture that we have here? We have this idea of a, of a, of a prayer life that is a priority. I'm going to set you guys up. I'm just going to warn you right now. I'm going to set you up right now. How many of you believe that prayer is important? Raise your hand. How many of you believe that it should be a priority in your life? Raise your hand. Can I encourage you that you should be at first Wednesday this coming Wednesday? That's what I did to our folks. I got a few sour looks at some people from some people. 6.30 to 8 o'clock. To me, it's one of the most beautiful times of prayer that we gather together, we praise, we worship, and we pray together. And so can I encourage you that you'd come out and you'd make it a part of a, of a community prayer gathering. Paul wants to know, am I passionate about my prayer life? And so the church at Colossae, he said, I want you to be passionate about your prayer. I want it to be a priority. Look at the second thing. Second thing is verse number five. Verse number five, he goes on, and what does he say? There in Colossians 4, verse number five, he says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Now, what's interesting about this is, I don't know whether Paul was giving a preemptive statement of, hey, the world's watching you. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a gathering of believers, Central Bible Church, I was driving, uh, Lori and I were driving around and we were in Chick-fil-A on Friday. And uh, as we were there, I saw somebody with the central tag on their car. Not sure who it was. Was it you, Megan? Uh, you had that grin on your face. So exactly. <laughs> she had a grin on her face. So, you know, but, but, but again, that is saying I'm part of that community. And so you're being watched. Creekside folks, we're being watched. And as we're being watched by the world, what does the world think? And so I don't know whether Colossi was in a situation where Paul was preemptively saying, hey, people are going to watch you. Or whether they had gotten a reputation. Because we know that there was at least some false teaching going on. And maybe there was some tension and some fighting and bickering. We, we're not told exactly. But Paul says, you know what? The world's watching. What do they see? What's interesting is he really gives three specific areas. He says, number one, act wisely. So wisdom. Am I cautious and am I tactful with how I handle myself out in the world? Wisdom. Am I cautious and am I tactful in how I handle myself? The second thing he says is making the most of the time. Opportunity. Opportunity, And what I wrote down here is not getting sucked into meaningless arguments. Not getting sucked into meaningless arguments. And you know what? Last year in 2020, we saw a lot of meaningless arguments take place, didn't we? And we got sucked into them, folks. As followers of Jesus Christ, we got sucked into that. And here is Paul saying, you know what? Don't waste your time. 
Focus your time on what is highest priority. And that's not it. And so here is Paul saying, make the most of your time. Find where God wants us to spend our efforts and energies. And is it really going to be arguing about this point or that point? And then look at the last thing. Look at what he says. He says, your speech should always be gracious. You know what's interesting about that word always in the original language? It means all the time. Yes, you can laugh. It means all the time. So that means your speech should always be gracious, even in a political season. Your speech should always be gracious in a COVID lockdown. Your speech should always be gracious when you're having to work at home and you're going crazy. Your speech should always be, you get the fact, you get the picture. It is always to be gracious. We are not given an out to say, well, you, you can be gracious except there. Or you know what? You really should be gracious except in that situation. No, Paul says your speech should always be gracious. Our words should be full of life and not life-sucking, not caustic. I'd like to read to you. This is from, uh, it was Lori's uncle and his daughter. Her uncle is a retired pastor. And uh, this is a friend of theirs that he posted on Facebook. And I, I thought this was so to the point and uh, I wish I would have found it uh, some time ago, but he says this. Just listen to this in the next few paragraphs. To all my Christian friends, what is our biblical responsibility regarding our online communication? Over the last year, I have watched believers devour one another online because their perspectives or ideas on so many topics differ from the ideas of their fellow believers. COVID is real, COVID's a conspiracy. Mass, no mass. Vaccine, no vaccine. The list is endless, as are all the online debates. Snarky memes and condescending comments that we would never utter to someone face-to-face -face or in person are now fair game for a Facebook post. This, in turn, invites others to the feeding frenzy of opinion, mockery, malice, and division, all under the guise of fighting for the truth. In the end, no minds are changed, but hearts are. Our hearts grow bitter towards those we are called to love. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, Mark 12. Love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you, Matthew 5. People are hurt, Satan is thrilled about it, and God is grieved. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. This is how the world behaves. God has called us to something greater. His word is clear. We are to do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith, Galatians 6. Our language and communications are to be kind, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as Christ Jesus has forgiven you, Ephesians 4. Our words are to encourage one another and build each other up, not tear them down, 1 Thessalonians 5. Our conversation is to be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone, Colossians 4, 6. Our conversation, excuse me, believer, your rights have been curtailed by your allegiance to Jesus, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6. We represent him at every turn in our lives. Therefore, every word we utter or type must go through the grid of this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19:14. Our social media platform is a gift from God to be used for his glory, not ours. I have failed in these actions in the past. 
I now purpose to follow Jesus in my social media interactions. Will you join me? I love that. I thought that's powerful. What are we going to be known for? When, when we have left this earth, whether it's because it's 100 years from now or because God has come back, what will Castle Rock remember Central Bible Church for? What will Castle Rock remember Creekside Bible Church for? I hope that we acted wisely with wisdom, that we made the most of our time, and that I pray that our words were gracious. That's what the Apostle Paul was praying for the church at Colossae, and I believe that's what he is hoping for us here in Castle Rock. And then the last thing. So the first thing was prayer. Second thing was our practice. The last one is partnership. And, and there's a lot of names there. I appreciate, Doug, you doing that. He came to me, he asked me how to say them. I'm like, you know, Doug, if you just go fast and just act like you know what you're doing, then people will believe you. Um, but, 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 you know, when it's all said and done, there's just three or four names that I want to highlight about partnership. Because I think there's three or four principles of partnership that are really, really important. The first one is at the beginning, verse 7, Tychicus. He says, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful servant, and fellow slave in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. I love that picture about Tychicus. And what we see is this. We see a guy that was, that was there in the trenches. And Paul said, you are a co-laborer, a co-slave. Notice Paul wasn't saying, well, I'm better than you or he's better than me. But we are on the same level. We are equal in this, in this fight together. The second thing we see is that there was a mutual affection for the cause of Christ. There was a mutual affection for the church. And there was a mutual affection for each other that they truly had a mutual affection for each other, that he was an encourager. As we said a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago, with what the world sees, what about your church family? Do they see you as an encourager or a discourager? I would hope and pray that, that all of you are encouragers. It doesn't, you know, I know people, people say, are you a glass, are you a person a glass half full or glass half empty? And at the end of the day, even people whose glasses are half empty can still be encouragers. And so we see this picture of encouragement, of life-giving. And really what it comes down to is this. True partnership involves genuine faithfulness. It involves a genuine faithfulness to Christ, to the cause of Jesus Christ on this earth, and to the church family, to brothers and sisters in Christ. I love what Billy Graham said. In fact, his last message, he said these words, I hope I will be remembered as someone who was faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and faithful to the calling God gave me, not only as an evangelist, but as a husband, a father, and a friend. Was I faithful to the calling of being a husband, a father, and a friend? Was I faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ? You want to know what's interesting about this list? If you will go down to verse number 14, there's two names mentioned. One name you recognize, Luke. He says there, Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas greet you. Demas is mentioned in one other book. He's mentioned in 2 Timothy. Listen to what Paul says about Demas in 2 Timothy 4, 9, and 10. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas abandoned me 
for the love of the world. Unfaithful. Unfaithful. Demas abandoned me, deserted me, because he loved the world more than he loved the cause of Jesus Christ. Demas, he shipwrecked. He, he's the one who, who, you know, tuck tail and run. I never want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ who tuck tail and run. But it said we're called to be faithful. So that's the first one. Second one, I love verse number 10. Look at verse 10. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who's called Justice. Now, out of those names, the one I want to point out is Mark. What's interesting about Mark is that in Acts 13, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, Mark were all on a mission trip. And as they got going on the mission trip, they got to a location called Pamphylia. And there at Pamphylia, Mark said, I'm done. We don't know why. We don't know what happened. We don't know if he got homesick. We don't know if he got sick. We don't know if he got tired. We don't know what it was. He was probably young, fairly young. But we know in Acts 13 that when he got to Pamphylia, he says, guys, I'm going home. Then a couple chapters later, and uh, if you have your Bibles handy there, turn to Acts 15. Go to Acts 15, because now there is the follow-up. And in Acts 15, starting at verse 36, it says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. And so Paul says to Barnabas, hey, we went on that trip. We saw all sorts of people give their lives to Christ. Let's go back and let's see how they're doing. Let's check up, in, check up on our disciples, on the disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's check up on them. Look how Barnabas replies, verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had gone on with them to the work. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Then Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. Do you see what happened? Paul and Barnabas are saying, let's go on this trip. And Barnabas says, let's bring Mark again. And Paul says, no way, no way. We gave Mark a chance. Mark blew it. Uh-uh. And Barnabas is like, come on, Paul, give him a chance. And Paul's like, no, absolutely not. And so Barnabas walks away and he ends up going with Mark and they end up going on doing their own ministry. Paul teams up with Silas and they go their way. Now that could have been the end of the story. But at some point in time, there was restoration and reconciliation. At some point in time, how do we know that? Because Mark is with Paul there in Colossians, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. And then there's a little parenthesis there, a parenthetical statement. And in the original language, we don't know who it's referring to, actually. We don't know if it's referring to Mark or Barnabas. The way it's written in the original language, it wasn't clear who it was referring to. But what does he say? He says, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. I think it may have been about Barnabas because the church at Colossae may have known that Paul and Barnabas had this real ugly split. But Paul says, you know what? That is in the past. Leave it in the past. Let go of it. Don't dredge it back up. 
In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, one of the aspects of love, it says, love does not take into account a wrong that has been suffered. One of the biggest challenges, especially if you're married or if you're in a family relationship, is hanging on to things where you're, either your husband, your wife, or your brother or sister has hurt you. But you hang on to it. It's one of the worst things you can do. Because all it's going to do is make you bitter. And what Paul is saying here, there's no room for bitterness. In fact, just the opposite, principle number two, true partnership will always allow room for reconciliation and restoration. It allows room for reconciliation and restoration. That there would be that, that, that praying, Lord, I pray that you would restore our friendship, that you would restore that relationship as, as ugly as it ended, as bad as it was. I pray that you would restore it. You would reconcile it. God, that you would allow us to at least be brothers and sisters in Christ that we're willing to love each other at that level. And so I think Paul was telling the church at Colossae, whether it was Mark or Barnabas, I think he was saying, I know you know the past history. Don't hang on to it. I'm not hanging on to it. I don't want you to hang on to it. Let go of it and welcome him. And then the last thing, just the last thing as we close up, verse 17, and tell Archippus, Pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. So what happened was Epaphras had gone to Rome to talk to Paul. So Archippus was like the associate pastor and he was now preaching. And Paul, in essence, was saying, I want you to come alongside your associate pastor. And while he is teaching, I want you to encourage him. I want you to lift him up. I want you to to challenge him. And that's what we see about true partnership, that, that that idea of true partnership is that we come around each other, that we come around each other and we support each other. And that's exactly what Paul was telling the church. I want you, the church, to come to Archippus and I want you to lift him up and encourage him. I love in the Old Testament, Joshua, Joshua chapter one, where God says, Moses has died. Joshua, I want you to now lead the people. And what does God tell him? Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you. He says that, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you some three or four times. But what's really cool about that is if you read through the chapter, the very last time that Joshua hears it, he doesn't hear it from God. He hears it from a couple of tribes, tribes of Israel that say, Joshua, we will follow you. Only be strong and courageous, Joshua, because the Lord your God is with you. Folks, we are supposed to be there for each other. And the last principle that I see with true partnership, it's never a lone ranger experience. It's always a team effort. It's never a lone ranger experience. It's always a team effort. And I think one of the greatest things that Satan tried to do last year was basically to create a bunch of lone rangers that said, I can do church, I can do life, I can do my Christian walk by just watching online by not connecting with a body of believers, by not coming back. I can go through a summer without having to go. I can go do my whatever I want to do every weekend, and I don't need this body of believers. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. For those of you that have you know, done any elk hunting or if you've studied at all about wildlife, if you've ever studied about a pack of wolves, even if it's only two wolves strong, they will go right into a herd of elk looking to scatter the elk. 
And what they'll do is they'll watch the elk regather. But what do they look for? What does the pack of wolves look for? They look for the lone elk that doesn't come back to the herd. And that's who they focus on. And that's who they look to take down. It's exactly what Satan does. Satan looks to come in and scatter the church, find somebody who's not come back, and he's going to do everything in his power to keep him isolated. Folks, the Christian walk is supposed to be a team effort. There's a reason that we're called a body, that we're called a building, that we are called this idea of, of a unit. In fact, here a couple of chapters earlier, we saw that it said Christ is the head and we are the body. And so can I challenge you that you would be focused on partnership, faithfulness, room for restoration and reconciliation, and the idea of it being a team effort, coming alongside. What I challenge Creekside this morning is if you haven't seen a face in a while and they come to your mind, pick up the phone and call them, text them, reach out to them with an email. Hey, I want you to know I missed you. How are you doing? How are you holding up? As you look around and you see some folks that are gone, how can you encourage them? Remind them that they are part of the team. Prayer, practice, and partnership. That's what the Apostle Paul left this church. I think in a lot of ways he said, if I never ever get to meet you personally, these are the three things that I want to leave you. And I think he would say the same thing to Central Bible Church. Let's pray.